Our scripture reading today comes from Philippians chapter 4, Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 14. This is the word of God through the apostle Paul. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. The grass withers, the flower fades. Amen. Please be seated. Let us go into the Lord and seek his face as we hear from him through his word. Let's pray together. Great God and our loving Heavenly Father, we come into your presence this morning with praise. We come to your throne with thanksgiving. We know that you, God of heaven, you are God, and beside you there is no other. As we're reminded, the things of this world will grow dim in the light of your glory and grace. And so, Lord, as we come before your word, as we come before your face, as we come with hearts and minds and souls open to hear your word, we ask, Lord, that you would speak to us. And we, your servants, will hear. We pray that you would minister to our hearts this morning the bread of life, that we would be full. We pray this morning, Lord, that you would come in a special way and meet with us. Even as you've promised that where two or three are gathered together in your name, there you are in their midst. And so, Lord, we know that you are here, and we expect that you will speak to us. We know that you will grow us in grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, and so we look to him, and we look in expectation of hearts that are bowed down to hear, to listen, and to take the bread to receive the balm that is from Gilead, thou thirsty souls desire. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In his book, A Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment, the Puritan Minister and theologian 
Jeremiah Borrow, points out that contentment comes from a deep and genuine trust in God's providence. Contentment comes from a deep and genuine trust in God's providence and sovereignty over all aspects of life. To be content is to trust in God's providence and sovereignty in every area of our lives. This reality is found in our section today, the text we're going to look at. We're going to be reminded of the apostles Paul having met Christ at Damascus. Paul was thoroughly converted and energized to evangelize the Gentiles with the gospel. And this was his mission. In his experience as an evangelist, Paul learned the secret of contentment. While ordinarily one's joy and satisfaction are found in favorable circumstances, the Apostle Paul learned that joy and satisfaction are not found in the fact that life is always going well. It's not found in our wealth or our lack. It's not found in our condition of happy experiences. It's not found in our relationships of our friends. Contentment is not found in the fact that you have everything and you lack nothing. It comes with knowing the creator of all things and understanding that in him we live and move and have our being, that we are now children of the living God. And that all things work together for good to those of us who love God and those of us who are called according to his purpose. The question that we want to ask ourselves is do we find contentment in this reality? That we know our God does all things well. That we know that in him we live and move and have our being. That we are children of the living God and even now as we sit here We are those who have inherited the kingdom of heaven. In Nehemiah chapter 8 and verses 10, the prophet spoke to a nation who was grieving loss. He says, do not grieve. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Again, in Isaiah chapter 41, verses 10, he says, do not be afraid. For I am your God. Do not be dismayed. Do not be dismayed. And so when we come to Philippians chapter 4, no doubt the Apostle Paul had learned these lessons. And when he speaks to his friends in Philippi, we ought to be reminded that Paul is now in prison and he is suffering great loss. And he's suffering loss because of his testimony of Jesus Christ. Because of his office as an evangelist and an apostle for the Gentiles. 
But you would expect that the Apostle Paul would be discontent because of all the trouble he had to go through as a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. Or maybe he would just be even killed and he would try to have this demeanor of one who is letting all of this just rub off his back like a duck. But what we find here is an apostle who is rejoicing. How is it that Paul is able to rejoice when he's in prison? How is he able to be happy when it seems as though life is going terrible and he's experiencing great harm to his own body and affliction to his soul? Paul says in verses 10 of chapter 4, I rejoice not in my circumstances, because my circumstances are bad. Not in the fact that I have good friends that, that love me, while that might be true. But he says, I rejoice in the Lord. Friends, when we look at our lives and we look at the loss that we've experienced as we live with old age and we think about all of the trials and temptations that come our way on a day-to-day -day basis is our heart, hearts of rejoicing. Are we rejoicing, like the Apostle Paul would say, in the Lord? Paul is not just rejoicing in the Lord. Adjective there is, he says he's rejoicing greatly. He's overjoyed. It's as if a cup is poured into with water and the water overflows and the content spills over. The Apostle Paul is, is overjoyed. But remind, be reminded that his, his joy is not in anything else but in his Lord. His Lord who is the King of all kings and Lord of all lords, the Lord who reigns at the right hand of God the Father. He rejoices in the Lord greatly. He says that now at length you have revived your concern for me. He said you were indeed concerned for me but you had no opportunity. And so as Paul speaks to his friends here and as he rejoices he reminds them that his rejoicing is in the Lord, but he's also mindful of the fact that theirs, the relationship of Christ, has blossomed. At one time, they might have been concerned and wanted to do something to help Paul in his state of imprisonment, but they didn't have opportunity, he said. But here are a group of Christians who have revived their concern for him. Think, about a, think of a prune that has, has gotten crumpled and disheveled and now it's, it's, it's been revived and it's, it's now a full-blown raisin. And, and Paul, friends here, had 
grown in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, their love for God and their love for their brother and obedience to the commandment to love God and to love their neighbor, their concern for Paul was such that they would not give up on trying to reach out to him and to minister to his needs. And so the Apostle Paul is, is careful to encourage them to continue in their pursuit of him, to com- continue to, to reach out and minister to his need, to continue to pray for him and to keep him at the forefront of their minds. He's rejoicing that they have grown in their faith. Because here are a group of Christians who, in spite of the hardship, they were willing to identify with one who was an enemy of the state. Think about how hard it would be for your church in times of conflict when someone is caught and imprisoned and and all of a sudden they've become associated with a criminal record and they're locked up for the ministry of the gospel that you would use your resources, you would use your time to identify with that one, understanding the risk that it would bring to your own life and to your own congregation. That you would go out of your way to be identified with a criminal, someone who had been put away as a criminal. And yet this is what these Philippians were willing to do. And because of this, Paul says, he rejoices. And so as Christians, one of the things that we learn from Paul is that our contentment mingled with our joy is found first and foremost in our relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why we sing, one with himself, I cannot die. My soul is purchased by his blood. My life is hid with Christ on high, with Christ, my Savior and my God. Scripture says we are in him, and in Christ we have been those who have overcome the world. The scripture says, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And no one of the apostle Paul could say, neither life or death, nothing can separate me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. And if God is for us, who can be against us? And if this God who is the King of kings and Lord of lords, the ruler of all things, is our God, why shouldn't we rejoice in him? We can look at life and we can look at our circumstances and we can, we can fixate on them and, and allow ourselves to be discouraged. We can look at all of the trials of life and we can allow ourselves to be anxious. We can be troubled by the affairs that afflict us on a day-to-day basis, but what we ought to be mindful of is the God of heaven. We can sing with the saints. Many things about tomorrow I don't seem to understand, but I know who holds tomorrow, and I know he holds my hand. Friends, isn't that comforting to know the God of heaven? 
the God who holds our hand, the God who leads us along, the God who knows the end from the beginning, who is the Alpha and Omega, the great King of kings and Lord of lords. We know the end of history. He comes on his white horse and he slays the wicked. He puts away death. He puts away sin and sorrow. He puts away all of the things of this life. This is the God. This is the King. This is the one that we rejoice in. But what is it that causes us to be distressed, to lose our joy? Jeremiah Borod tells us that there are many things that can cause us to lose our joy and lose our focus and lose our contentment. He points out, I'm going to point out too, he says, when we compare ourselves with one another. He says the danger of comparing oneself to others and the negative impact of coveting what others have encourages readers to focus or discourages readers from focusing on their blessings and to be satisfied with what God has provided. It's easy to look at our friends, to look at our relatives, to look at people we know and and to compare ourselves with them, that they're having such a better time in life. They have more ambition, they have more degrees, they have more cars, they have more this, and the list could go on and on and on. And sometimes that can cause us to be discontent with our lots in life. But instead of looking at one another and comparing ourselves among one another, we should compare ourselves to those who do not have eternal life to those that God have passed over and the fact that we are elect and we have been given eternal life through Jesus Christ. Jeremiah underscores that deep contentment is rooted in our relationship with Christ. By finding joy and fulfillment in Christ's presence in the promises of Scripture, believers can experience lasting contentment regardless of their circumstances. This is how Paul was able to say, I rejoice in the Lord greatly. Because Paul was not as concerned about Peter and other apostles. They probably were experiencing hardships too. He wasn't concerned as much about others who were having a better time at life, who were not suffering. He was concerned with the fact that he was in the will of God, that God had made promises to him that he would never leave or forsake him so that even in the midst of his imprisonment while being chained to prison guards and while going sometimes with, without food and having some of the comforts and the shelter that we would normally have, Paul could rely on his relationship with Christ, that his life was in his hand. Notice in, verse, notice in verses 11, Paul says, Not that I'm speaking of being in need. For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. So Paul is not as concerned about his need because he had them. Just because we have an enduring relationship with Christ doesn't mean that we don't have physical and material needs. We do. Doesn't mean that we don't experience loss, we do. Doesn't mean that life is not going to be bad and we're not going to walk through valleys of shadows of death. We will. 
Paul said, but that's not my main concern. He says, I have learned in whatever situation to be content. Paul is telling us that, yes, those times of hardship will come. We will experience loss. We will experience great needs. But what God expects us to understand is that in the midst of those circumstances, in the midst of our need, and in the midst of our hardship, that he's there, and his promises have not changed. And because he is there with us, just like he was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, we should be content. We should know that our sovereign God is working even in the midst of hardship, even in the midst of trial, even in the midst of rejoicing for our good. Paul goes on to explain times of hardship that he's experienced that he's also demonstrated contentment in. In verses 12 he says, I know how to be brought low. Literally here, I know how to live under poor conditions. To experience a life where I have nothing. Destitute. He says, I know how to abound. I've lived under circumstances where I've had abundance. He says, in every and any circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing abundance and hunger. And what is the secret? He says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The King James Version says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so not that Paul is finding the adequacy in himself, not that he has some inner reserve of, of, of this strength, but he finds his strength, his rock, the one that is immovable in the Lord. That's why, he, that's why he said, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. And if we find ourselves in places where we feel as though we have needs that are unmet, we should take a stand and, and look back and, and say, have I asked the Lord to provide for this need? And we should take a stand and look back and say, this is God's promise to me that he will provide all of my needs according to his riches and glory. And we should rely on the word and promise of God and expect our God who is alive to act on our behalf because he is the God who is the sustainer and provider of his saints. When I lived in West Africa in Monrovia as a boy, when I was about six years old, we experienced a time of conflict in that country. It was a full-blown civil war of two rebel factions fighting each other for control, for power. And in the midst of their fighting, all of the luxuries and accommodations of life were destroyed. Electricity, the markets, the hospitals. 
infrastructure, everything was destroyed. And we had to live under those circumstances on a day-to-day basis, and added to that, straight bullets flying left and right, and so those who are not directly engaged in the warfare are getting killed. You hear news of relatives and friends and loved ones dying during the course of this war. But in the midst of that, the Lord was with us. We were reminded of the psalm's word, the word of the psalmist, that the angel of the Lord encamps round about those who fear him and delivers them. In the midst of that, we could say, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusts in him. And even in the midst of warfare, when, when there were nothing, in many days we had to, to scrimmage for food and scavenge and put our hands on whatever we can to, to make sure that we had something to fill our need, we could still say that the Lord provided all of our needs according to his riches and glory. And there are many saints, not only in Liberia, but in many parts of the world who live under circumstances like this where they don't know where their next meal is going to come from, where they're looking about for shelter, they're they're scrimmaging for food and for clothing, and they're living day to day not knowing whether they'll live or die, and they can still say with the Apostle Paul, my Lord shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. How much more, those of us who live in a nation of abundance? We have running water, we have good infrastructure, we have markets, we have hospitals, and the list of accommodations could go on. Are we content? Can we grab onto and hold onto the promises of God? Can we trust in him, our sovereign God who has brought us here and given us the opportunities in the lives that we have? Can we trust? Can we live lives that are content? Can we be like the Apostle Paul who says, I've had abundance, and I've lived with abundance, but I'm still content. No matter what the Lord allowed to come my way, I'm still content. In verses 14, the Apostle Paul tells us, yet, It was kind of you to share my trouble. And so, yes, his contentment is found in his lasting relationship, his deep relationship with Christ. Yes, his contentment is not in his circumstances, but it's reliant on the power of God. He learned that. Power of God to provide all of his needs. But Paul understood that he found contentment and he learned to be content knowing that he had friends who were there for him. He understood that the Christian church is a body. And he was content to know that one part of the body was concerned for the other part of the body and it was doing its utmost best to meet the needs of that member of the body. 
That's why the Apostle Paul could write, it was kind of you to share my trouble. The scripture tells us about the gifts that the Spirit gives. And the Spirit gives gifts to the church so that those of us who are believers who have been gifted with the gifts of hospitality, of friendship, etc., that our gifts are not for ourselves to be consumed upon our own pleasures, but to be used to benefit one another. And so, yes, he would say that one person water, one person plants, but God gives to increase. And so it is in the church. Not all of us can go on the mission field and be missionaries. Not of us are going to be pastors and teachers and preachers. But some of us are going to be involved in hospitality and we have the gift to minister to those who are mourning, to minister to those who are experiencing grief, to be those who come alongside and walk alongside those who are experiencing hardship. And this is what Paul is recognizing in his friends. They didn't have political power, they didn't have the might to free him out of prison. All of them couldn't come and they couldn't leave Philippi and come over to where he was in prison. But they sent their friend, a brother in the faith, Epaphroditus, to come and minister to the needs of Apostle Paul. To go about doing things for Paul, running errands for him and and meeting his needs in small ways because Paul was under house arrest. He couldn't leave. He couldn't do the normal things that we would be able to do under normal circumstances, but he had someone who was there to help, someone who came from the church, who was supported by the church, to come and take care of and meet the need of the Apostle Paul. And all of these were circumstances for contentment. All of these taught the Apostle Paul that God was with him, that God was meeting his needs, and that God would continue to meet his needs even in the midst of these trials. But the greatest test of our contentment is when we are under trial. During a particular challenging period in the life of Wesley, John Wesley, when he was deeply impacted by the Moravians, he said, he was on a voyage to the American colony in Georgia in 1735. While Wesley's initial mission to Georgia did not go as planned, he said his interaction with the Moravians left a lasting impression on him. On the ship to Georgia, he observed that the Moravian unswivering, unwavering faith and calm demeanor amidst a life-threatening storm. And while he was filled with fear and anxiety, the Moravians displayed a profound trust in God's providence and a commitment to their mission. He said this experience significantly impacted his life. Years later, when he returned to England, he recounted in his own journal that he had witnessed their devotion, their humility, and active involvement in serving others and spreading the gospel. He said he was struck by their common sense of community and deep emphasis on a personal relationship with Christ. 
in expressing his gratitude and acknowledgement of their sheer commitment to the gospel, he penned these words in his journal. He said, I went to America to convert the Indians, but who shall convert me? Who? What is he that will deliver me from this evil heart of mischief? I have a fair summer religion. I can talk well, nay, and behave myself while no danger is near. But let death look me in the face, and my spirit is troubled. So Wesley's experience with the Moravians illustrated gratitude intertwined with a shared commitment to the gospel. Their example inspired him to depend and to deepen his relationship with Christ, to cultivate a heart of faith and embrace a sense of community and mutual support. He had seen these brethren experience contentment in the midst of danger when their lives were threatened. And he rebuked himself for being a fair summer Christian. I wonder how many of us, when danger and despair and anxiety and, and hardship stares us down the face, instead of turning to God, being rooted in him and being deepened and relying and trusting in his promises to deliver us, we have the attitude like that of Wesley. We forget, and we're overtaken by our distress, our distress, and we live in despair. We live with anxiety. We live with troubled hearts. Consider the Apostles Paul, the Apostles Paul's testimony. Can we live a life free of trial? No. Can we live a life free of trouble? No. We will experience trial. We will experience difficulty. But how do we overcome? The scripture says, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. By faith, we have overcome the world. It's about Holy Spirit's empowerment. We can say like the Apostle Paul, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So let's suit ourselves with the armor of the Lord. Let's hold on to his promises because they are true. And let's face the world that is dying with hearts that are deeply rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ that trusts in the promises of God with faces set as flints moving towards that holy city, Jerusalem. With the Apostle Paul, to learn contentment in all things. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, we are grateful for the ministry of Paul to the Philippians and the encouragement we can draw, we can draw from it. Lord, our hearts yearn to be content. Our hearts yearn to be satisfied with the goodness and the delight that we find in Christ. Take our faces from the earth and focus them on the Lord Jesus Christ.
to see him sitting on the throne high and lifted up of his train filling the temple. Let us cry together, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The earth is full of his glory. Let us live this life knowing that our Redeemer lives. That though we experience hardship, that though we live through trials and temptations, that we would heed the admonition of the scripture to fear not and be not dismayed because you are our God. We pray and ask this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.